follow that. <laughs> it's just so good to worship God, isn't it? So good to lift high the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just ask now that you would continue the work that you have already begun this morning amongst us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and highlight what you want to highlight to us individually. And we pray, Father, today that you would build your church and the name of Jesus would be lifted up. Amen. We're now well into our uh, series on the bigger picture. And uh, I think this is about number eight, and we've got as far as Ephesians 4. And we're going to be working our way from verse 17 this morning. But uh, before heading into this another great big chunk of Scripture... I think it's very important that um, we, we look at the verses we're going to uh, share this morning in the context of what's already gone before. The, the book of Ephesians starts, Paul writes, and, and he's extolling people to praise the Lord. He's, he's telling people of the wonderful position that they now have through Jesus' sacrifice that we've heard so much about already this morning. And John shared at the beginning of the series, and he said... How man was created to be an object of God's love. But sin caused a separation, didn't it? Sin caused that separation. So Jesus had to come, God's only son had to come to die in our place. That we could be, long word, reconciled back to God. In chapter 2 we saw who we were without Christ. And what Jesus has now done for those who believe in him and who we are going to be for eternity. And Steve, I thought, excellently encouraged us to place our past, our present and our future into God's hands. I wonder how many of us actually went home and did that. Said, Lord, I want to place my past, my present and my future into your hands. And Steve again encouraged us that we are God's workmanship, the workmanship of God that wonderful phrase that we can be his collective work of art, the way Jesus is building us together. I think with me it's a bit of a Picasso, but uh, God is building us together as a work of art. You see, it's so much bigger, so much bigger than than what I was taught when I was young. It's just about me in my small corner. It's not just about coming to know Jesus. God has got something so much bigger for us to do and for us to be. Again, Ephesians 2, it's full of the incredible grace of God in sending his wonderful son, Jesus. The incredible price that was paid, as David so rightly highlighted again this morning. The price is immeasurable what God has done in that separation. Jesus and God separated. It's amazing what God has done because he loves us so much and wants us to be his people. John showed us that something impossible was made possible, that reconciliation between God and man. And now we can become one, we can become one race, one people. You can read about that in 1 Peter. Not just individual Christians knocking around, but God wants to make us into one people, a people of unity. And these are very individualistic days, aren't they? It's all about the individual. But that's a radical message these days. It's about a body. Yes, he loves you individually. He cares for you individually. You need to 
ask Jesus into your heart individually, but then you become part of the body. Then we have to start working it out. Good news. Then David led us into Ephesians 3, didn't he, and started to unpack the amazing passion that God has got for his church and the plan that he's got for his church. The church, a place of God's presence, a place where God is at home with us. It's subjective, but is there that sense, maybe sometimes when we come together, that sense of God's presence? Precious. God at home with us. A place where God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are known, honoured, and worshipped. So much more than just coming and singing a few songs. A place where God is known. Where we can know him and he can know us. Does that stir us again? to co-work with Jesus, does that stir us? To co-work with him as he's building his church among us? What else did David say? He reminds us the church is a place of freedom. <laughs> it is. A place of confidence where we can have access to God through Jesus Christ. A place of awe and yet a place of familiarity. Familiarity, a word that can be misunderstood and has lots of different meanings, but in the right sense, we can be familiar. As Steve was saying earlier, God is our Father. He's our Dad. We hold that, as we've been saying in our cell group recently, you can hold that very tightly. That is a truth. But also you can hold that very lightly. <laughs> he's our Father. And he's awesome. And yet he's our Father. Amazing, isn't it? What an amazing God. I wonder if you've got to know him yet. Some of us need to get to know him a little bit more. So much more of him to know. So God wants to make us into his family, the ultimate father. What did Steve say? Who gives ultimate security, ultimate love, and ultimate hope. Let alone that big world out there, even in our own worlds, don't we need to know security? The security? Don't we need to know love? So really, by the time we arrive at Ephesians 4.17, I don't know about you, I need a bit of a lie down. You know, I think, I think I need a bit of a cup of tea. After all that, there's been an awful lot of truth that's been piled in. And it's not just about filling Sundays. We do need to go away and unpack what God has said. Look at it in our cell groups. Discuss it over a cup of tea. Just talk about what God is saying to keep the word alive. But before we move on, we, we talked last week about Psalms. David opened with a psalm this morning, which is the book in the middle of the Bible, written by various people that often were praising God, or they were telling God how they really felt. I'm really depressed. I'm really joyful. And that's all okay. And in the book of Psalms, there's a little word that you often find in, in Psalms. It's called selah. Does anybody know what selah means? Pause. What well, pause, like a cat. Pause, think about it. Reflect. Reflect. Any more? Meditate. Chew it over. Often it says that. Ponder. Think. So just for literally a few seconds, let's just ponder. <laughs> you say, ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Wow. Oof. Let's just ponder on some of these thoughts. Maybe just like to close your eyes just for a moment and just reflect. Have a think about some of these phrases I'm going to share. Firstly, man was created to be an object of God's love. 
sin caused us to be separated from God. So he sent his wonderful son Jesus to die in our place. It's all about grace. Place your past, your very present and your future into God's hands. The church is a place of God's presence where God is at home with us. God is the ultimate father and he alone gives ultimate security, love and hope. So why have we spent just a few minutes reflecting on that? Well, I felt it was important because once we come to the end of Ephesians 4 and we go into Ephesians 5, it all starts getting a little bit practical, all a little bit nitty-gritty. And up to this point, we've seen God unrolling his gracious plan, the plan he has for us as individuals, and arguably, more importantly, the plan he has for us as a body, a church in unity. We are forgiven individuals now being built into a body. So we now come to Ephesians 4. It's very near the back of the Bible, and it's one of the letters written by a man called Paul. And let me just read this to you, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour that we are all members of one body, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. 
It's truth. You see, to look at these verses, it, it could be seen as, seen as a bit of a, a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. But just remember what's gone before, the glory and the grace. And now it's about the practical application. More to follow in Ephesians 5 and 6. The rubber really hits the road there. But there's a key verse in Ephesians 5, chapter 18, which I know many of us will know. And it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Or as, as many know, the, the verb there is be being filled, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot do this in our own strength, although we are called to make active choices with our mind. So, as we press on, just remember it's about God's perfect plan for mankind, his church and his grace. So verse 17 to 19, Paul gives this great exhortation for purity and holiness of heart and life. Your sin is an impurity of heart and it's futile thinking and that will harden us. When we go our own way, you know, we, we, we lose that softness, we lose that gentleness of spirit to hear God. When we go our own way, our, our motivation instead of being love can be pride and can be selfishness. I don't know if anyone's ever had a callus on their finger. Anyone ever had a callus on their finger? If you notice it, it becomes very hard and you can actually sort of almost poke it with a needle or put it on something hot and it doesn't hurt, does it? Because it's so calloused, it's so, it's so hardened. So it can withstand pain, but there's no feeling. <laughs> and that's why sometimes in the church it's easy to get hurt because God has started to soften us down and we get hit and we get hurt and it's not easy. John Wesley in his commentary says this about verse 18. He says, They have their understanding darkened through the ignorance that is in them. They are totally void of the light of God. Neither have they any knowledge of his will, being alienated from the life of God, utter strangers to the divine, the spiritual life, through hardness of their hearts, callous and senseless. And where there is no sense... There can be no life. Something we have to be so wary of, a hardness of heart. Many years ago, 29 years ago, I was at a Bible week struggling with the things of God, wanting to be filled with the Spirit of God. And uh, a chap spoke, and it was a very moving word, and I responded and went to the front, which I didn't do very often. And so many people responded that they told the band to stop playing, to come down and pray for people. And the drummer, and I still don't know who he was, and I'd love to meet him one day, the drummer came straight down and pushed his way through all the people, and he came up to me, and he put his hand right on my chest, and he said, Father, I pray that you take away this man's heart of stone and you give him a heart of flesh. That had a massive impact on my life. A massive, a massive impact on my life. The harshness, the hardness of heart was replaced over a period of time with a softness of heart. It says in Ezekiel chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 19, it says that God will take away a heart of stone and will give us a heart of flesh. 
And as I tried, with all gentleness and, and, and calmness, to prepare for today, I just thought, just to remind us, you know, we sometimes need God to take away that heart of hardness, that hardness, and replace it with a heart of flesh. A hard heart is hard to receive, and it's hard to give. Of course, one of the great knock-on effects when you have a soft heart is you get hurt more easily. (laughs) So I just need to tell you about the other side of it as well. But it's because you're reaching out in love. If you get knocked back, just reach out in love. It's only a gift of God. This is not a self-help manual. It's a gift of God. Got a hardness of heart? Struggling with that? Then ask Jesus to give you a heart of flesh. It's not an instant bang, but it's the start of a wonderful process. And I think it was Janet this morning, she, she shared this scripture. Because when there's hardness and harshness, we need an antidote. And I respectfully say, in that sense, Jesus is the antidote. He says this in Matthew 11, says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. But it also says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. We don't just need to encounter the Jesus who's going to give rest to our souls, but we encounter a Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart, and he shall give rest to our souls. He wants us to be like him. We can't do it in our own strength, but Lord... Give me a heart of flesh, a soft heart, not a hard heart. So in this context, this context of, of God's grace and the wonderful forgiveness that we have as Christians, or if you may like to say we have as followers of Jesus, we still have to make choices and responsibility. There is something in the Christian world that says, well, Lord, I pray that you will dot, 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 and that so-and-so will happen. He calls us to act. Not step out and run ahead of him, but he calls us to act. Can God do amazing things out of the blue? Yes, but very often, I would say just about every time, it is us that have to step out. He's only chosen to use us. There's no other way we're his church to display his glory. So, we have to make choices and we have to take responsibility I'm afraid that's the bottom line. I think there's three just brief areas here where I believe we can make choices and we can take responsibility. I believe we have to take responsibility for our thoughts, we have to take responsibility for our words, and we have to take responsibility for our actions. Remember, this is all in the context of the grace of what Jesus has done for us. So firstly, our minds. Did you know your mind is a battlefield? I mean, I've never struggled with that at all. I don't know about anyone here. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> Anyone, anyone's mind a battlefield? Yeah. Throughout the worship, did you have a conversation with that person at work that upset you? During the worship, did you have a chat with the neighbour, that woman in the shop that cut you up with her trolley? Probably. I did. It's a battle. It's a battle. You know, I think our minds can be like that soft putty. You know, this, the Olympics is coming up and they have the long jump and they, they launch off that bit of wood, don't they? But there's putty there. And if they put their foot in the putty, then it's a foul. And I thought it's a bit like that with our minds. We have all these experiences, 
all through our lives. And it's like puts an imprint on our mind. We're bombarded, aren't we, with imagery, bombarded with deception, bombarded with unreal expectations. <laughs> I won't give any examples because we all need to get home. But we're bombarded. You know, and we can carry a catalogue of historical pain and disappointments in our life. Just stuff that disappoints us, stuff that's hurt us, things that I've caused that have caused pain to myself and others. We can carry that. But how wonderful on Easter, on Easter Day when we were with our brothers and sisters in Canterbury, when we heard that word preached that God gets our pain. God understands. If you weren't there, Steve or I can tell you how to get hold of that, uh, that word on tape or whatever. But God understands all this stuff. And God is not unsympathetic or insensitive. And we don't want to be unsympathetic or insensitive to the terrible pain that some people have encountered and the things that people have been through. But God really understands our pain. This is highlighted when, he speak, when the prophet speaks about Jesus in Isaiah 55, uh, 53. Sorry, Just picks out these few things. It says about Jesus, He was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried away our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that was due to us was put on him. God understands. Some says to me, oh, but Julian, you don't understand. You haven't been through that. Well, I may not have done but God understands. He understands. Verse 17 shows that once we've encountered Jesus, that we can receive forgiveness because we used to live in that futility of our thinking. So we've got all this stuff kicking around in our minds. So again, what is God's antidote? Well, it's from Romans, Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2, probably well known by many. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God has the antidote. Daily, our minds can be transformed. Daily, we can fix our eyes on Jesus. It doesn't just have to be on a Sunday. We can present ourselves to God. We were chatting about this at cell, I think it was, about getting time alone with the Lord. And for some, were saying, oh, I like to sit quietly in the room with a book. And others... When I'm driving, I find that, or when I'm walking. Others, when I'm around the shops, I'm talking to God. Whatever works for you, that's fine. But even in that time, just as you're driving down to get your pension, you're walking to work, just Lord again, in all that's coming up to me, I present myself to you. I present myself to you. Good place to be. Oh, and by the way, it's a living sacrifice. <laughs> Not a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Soft heart, living sacrifice. So there is pain involved. 
but we're doing this for the kingdom. We're living life Jesus' way, as we say, as part of our mission statement. It's all because of God's rich mercy, his great mercy. He has made us alive in Christ. That's why we want to present ourselves to him. Who else do you want to present yourself to in this day and age? Where else is there to go? (laughs) Do you want to be voted on or voted off? Or do you want to see what God says about you in his word, how he loves you and wants you to be saved and part of his family? Secondly, from this passage, I believe we have to take responsibility for our words. Now, words are very important, as we know. Jesus is known as the word of God. That's right. So if Jesus is known as the word of God, then I would suggest that words are very important. Does anyone remember the saying from the playground years ago? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? No. What an absolute lie. I think I've been hurt by more words than I have by pieces of four by two in my life. (laughs) The bullies in the playground, it was what they said rather than the fist. Because when the fist landed, at least it was over. But the words and the threats... Words. Words can be very hurtful. Words can be spoken over us as individually, as, as individuals, as families, and they can have a massive impact on our lives. I believe they affect our reactions, they affect our choices, they even affect our relationships. And I know that much of my life has been a defence mechanism to keep myself from people saying words to hurt me, ducking and diving. And it's a choice and a challenge when you come into the church and into the kingdom to let that soft heart come, to open yourself up again because there's a danger of being hurt. But what is God's antidote to cruel words? Well, again, I know it sounds simplistic, but I can tell you from experience it is found in Jesus. Colossians 3.16. Now that's easy to remember because it's like John 3.16. In fact, if you do a study of 3.16 throughout the Bible, some pretty cracking verses in there. But Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell. Let the word of Christ richly... Not just that one verse that helps you, but let the word of God richly dwell within you. Last week, Fred started the song, didn't he? Your word is a lamp to my feet. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You want to know what to do? Get into the word of God. Spend time with Jesus, who is the word of God. Spend time with men and women of God who love him. Bounce ideas around. Get into the word of God. Psalm, again, going back to Psalm 119. How do we deal with temptation, for example? Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. I wish we had some young men here and we could preach on this, but they're coming. Hallelujah. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Then look at the next verse. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And again, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's hard to get the word of God into a hard heart. That's why we need God to give us a heart of flesh, to softly 
and gently receive the word. Not question everything, but why does it say this? To receive the word of God and to let it richly dwell within us. Just a little, a little aside here, but unfortunately in uh, Ephesians there's these verses about anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, it's in the book, so we're going to have a quick look at it. Did you know it's okay to be angry? It's okay to be angry? You support the football team, I support you being angry all the time, I tell you. But uh, it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to sin. Now, if we very briefly look at Numbers 32, and I'm going to do just read a couple of little excerpts. I'll just read you a couple of excerpts. But this actually shows us that God is angry. God is angry? Strange. I thought he was loving, and we just cuddled him, and he was nice to us. No, God is angry. It's in the notes, and go back and look at the context. But this is what God says. He says, um, it says, The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore an oath. Because you have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men, 20 years old or more, who came out of Egypt, will see the land I promised by an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one, except Caleb, the son of Shephani, the Canaanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And it goes on, the Lord's anger burned against Israel and made them wander in the desert. Strong stuff. But even in his anger, God remembered mercy. Even in his anger, God saw these two men whose heart was for him. You know, we can be, we can be angry at injustice and so forth, and, and, and that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to be careful with anger that we don't give the enemy a foothold. I mean, what, what is anger? It's a, it's a loss of control, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a loss of emotions. We can start saying things that we don't mean to see, say because just, we've just lost the plot. But often, unrighteous anger can actually reveal the heart motives, can really reveal what's going on in our hearts. And I think that's where anger is a little bit more than just shouting at someone. Because you're cross. Jesus talked about a man who was angry in a famous story called The Prodigal Son. And uh, I always think it should be called The Older Brother, not The Prodigal Son. But The Prodigal Son is it's a lovely Sunday school story with so much truth in it that Jesus taught. But there were two sons and there was a wealthy man. And the youngest son came to his father and said, Father, I want half of all the money I'm going to get when you kick the bucket. I want it now. I want your money. So the father gave him half of everything, and this son went off to a land far, far away, and he spent the lot on loose living, foolish living. He just wasted everything. He lost everything. He ended up having to feed pigs and There was a famine in the land. He was in a terrible state. And he came to his senses and he said, surely even my father's servants, at least they've got food every night and they've got a bed. I'll go back to my father 
And I'll say, Father, look, I got it wrong. I'm so sorry. Can I at least come back and be one of your servants? So he makes this choice. Makes a choice, remember. Doesn't sit there. He does something about it. And he heads back. And when he's far, far away, the father sees him. The father runs to him, embraces him. And he's so excited. He said, my son, you're back. There's a ring on his finger, a robe on his shoulders. He calls his servants and said, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. My son was dead and now he's alive. So this is all kind of kicking off. They're having a great time. The other son, the older brother, is in the field working. And he comes in after a long, hard day. And he hears all this music, dancing. He calls one of the servants and says, what's all this noise? What's all, what's all this sound? What's all this, this partying going on? And the servant says, your brother has come back. And your father's so thrilled about it. They're having a party and they've killed the fatted calf. And it says the son, the older brother, was angry. He was angry. All those weeks and years of anger and bitterness and resentment came to the surface. And what did the father do? The father came to him. And he said, my son, won't you join us? He wouldn't even call him his brother. He says, this son of yours has wasted your money and yet you're prepared to give him all of this. I have served you faithfully and I've got nothing. And the father says, son, everything I've got is yours, but this one was lost. So shouldn't we rejoice that he's come home? He, he lost the plot. Isn't it understandable? Some of us that have been in the church many years have older brother syndrome. I believe I had it for many years. The resentment when you see others come in. It, 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 just, it, just, it just comes up. You it just, it's just there. But the father loved them both. It was the father's decision. The grace that the father showed. How much grace has God shown to us? It's the father who's full of grace. We have to be so careful that we're not stewing for years. <laughs> we have access to the father. Maybe ask him for a goat, for a party. <laughs> Maybe ask him, because he is a good father. But the anger was bobbling and resentful. And, 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 and yet the father came and said, what is it? He had that chance to be reconciled to his father. Anger can block so much. Blocks relationships, blocks inheritance. But later we're going to see in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit who gives us self-control. We can be self-controlled by the power of the Spirit. Look at Jesus himself, the amazing provocation that our wonderful Saviour went, went under when he was, he was just picked on and, and spat on, when he was un, misunderstood and insulted. Despite that, he remained self-controlled. Paul said, be angry, but do not sin. So that means that we don't have to sin when we're angry. We shouldn't. Just give me one, give you a few verses which may, you may want to just go away in your own time, just think about, meditate on. And they're from Psalm 4, starting at verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger... Do not sin. 
when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. What a prayer. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. It says here, in your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your heart. It's good to search your heart. You know, in the heat of the moment, we can react, can't we? It's so good to just move away, step away, and just get this big word beginning with P. Every preacher's got to have a word beginning with P. Perspective. See the bigger perspective. Yes, it could easily resentments can come, but Jesus died for each one of us. All I brought to the table was my sin and my selfishness, the sinful nature. That's all I bought, and all that God gave me was his grace and his forgiveness. I just encourage you to go, go away and look at that Psalm 4 for yourself. And the word says, going back to the finishing off with the word, the word says... You know, be careful about unwholesome talk. Just put a block on unwholesome talk. Proverbs 15 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you encountered that in life situations? Where you give a harsh word back and kaboom, off we go. You give a gentle word back, calms the situation down you don't feel like you still don't feel great yourself but at least you've calmed the situation down that's what this is verse 23 says this a man finds joy in giving an apt reply how good is a timely word how good to speak a word in season to one another a word of encouragement a word to your neighbour a word to that lady in Morrison's in front of you when you're standing across the road just to just a friendly one, nice day, just to share a bit of love. (laughs) But also to give an apt reply, we have to listen. It's important that we listen. So can I encourage us to build one another up? (laughs) Can I encourage us just to be careful what we say, how we use our words? I've got a big L plate on here (laughs) and on there. So I'm not coming from any place of great grandeur or authority here, I can assure you. I'm trying myself just to be careful in words, especially humour. We do have to be careful. People like myself like a bit of humour. Cynicism can creep in very quickly. And we just have to be careful. The word says, put a guard over my mouth, a watch over my lips. So, yeah, well, let, let, let's have a laugh, but let's use humour wisely. Let's be, let's be careful that when we have a bit of a joke with someone in the church, we're not actually having a bit of a pop, a bit of a dig. Underlying that little joke, we're actually saying, ha, oh, Julian, her trousers look a bit tight. You're fat, you know. You know let, let's, let's, uh, let's just be careful how we use humour. <laughs> people are visiting us. More people are going to come and join this church and, and visit us. And they're going to watch what we're saying. They're going to watch how we act with one another. That doesn't mean to say we need to be terrified. You know, let's just relax. It's okay. 
But let's just be careful how we speak to one another. We're going to see later on, aren't we, in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives. I'll leave that to the preacher there. But husbands, don't use veiled humour against your wife. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because even if she says she doesn't mind, she does. Very important. Did you hear that? Men, any husbands here? Don't use veiled humour against your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. It says that unwholesome talk grieves. You know, it grieves the Holy Spirit. We desire to be a people that walk in step with the Holy Spirit and to follow the flow, even this morning, seek to follow the flow. What's the Holy Spirit saying? Where is he taking us? If we're full of unwholesome talk, it's not going to be quite so easy, is it, to hear and to follow the Holy Spirit. And finally, we need to take responsibility for our actions I'll just say a couple of bits here, I think, on this, and that is that our actions will flow from our thoughts and from our words. In the end, what we think and what we're saying is going to affect how we act. We can make a choice just to lay aside unrighteous anger, to lay aside slander, to lay aside bitterness. We can choose to put on kindness, choose to put on compassion, and a forgiving heart. As I say, I'm still learning, so please, still learning. See, God hates injustice. God hates, hates sin. And as we said earlier, the Bible says that we were all born sin. Now we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Steve reminded us the other day, we never have to teach your children to be naughty, do we? Did you have to teach your kids to be naughty? No, it kind of came naturally, didn't it? (laughs) So it shows there's something. But God did something about it. God did something about it. In John 3.16, remember 3.16, it said God loved the world so much that he gave his own son. So that if we put our faith in him, if we say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, we can have life forever. You know, we, we, we lost a very, very dear friend recently. And I went to the Bible and said, where is she? <laughs> and the Bible says, neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. You can know the love of God today through Jesus and never be separated for him. from him. There is hope. What I've said today, you know, it's not, it's not a self-help manual. It's not just helpful tips to go out and think, oh, well, I bet, Julian said I better not be angry anymore. Do I have to try harder? No, let, let's just lay it again before the Lord. If it's a big issue, then maybe speak to John or David and just get some help. We can do it together. Encourage, encourage one another as we try and, try and come to maturity. Let's choose to live in God's grace and to demonstrate his kingdom to those who don't yet know him. Remember, it's a bigger picture, not just about God meeting my needs and healing me and making me better. Those things are important, but also he wants to make us a body, a people together with all of our shortcomings and natural failings. As John said, it's the glory in the church 
when despite all that we're functioning together. That is the glory in the church. Shall we just pray and I think I'll finish there. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the truth of the Bible. We want to thank you that truth is in Jesus. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Pray for the family here, for us here as a church, Lord Jesus, that we would know you more. And Lord Jesus, that you would continue just to to help us as we seek to respond to your word. Father God, I pray that you would seal this word. Anything that's not of you, just wash it away and just highlight to our hearts whatever it is that you've spoken to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for your attention. Much appreciated. Is tea and coffee going to be served through here? Do come and join us. Thank you very much.